the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. One of the most beautiful psalms in, that you'll find out of the 150 is Psalm 51. Uh, he had been, David, King David, had been confronted by Prophet Nathan about his sin, and he responded. Listen to three, uh, four verses, Psalm 51, 10 through 12. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and upright uphold me with your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. The whole Psalm 51 is beautiful. It is David's response. We wonder why David was a man after God's own heart. I think Psalm 51 might express that when he's confronted with his sins, he does not deny it. He, he admits it, and then he desires to be back close to the Lord. This is Bert Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarlane, and welcome to Exploring the Word. Right now, we're going through a series called Prophets, Kings, and Kingdoms, and we've spent a good bit of time on David. I think we might finish up with that today. We'll see how far we get. But Alex, Psalm 51 does express David's heart, and I do think that's one of the reasons we, God, would say he's a man after my own heart. Well, you know, it's been said that King David is certainly one of the Bible's most compelling characters. I mean, really fascinating. Um, we relate to King David. We see his his heroism and his courage, his worship of the Lord. Uh, we kind of cringe when we think of some of his failures. But you know, Psalm 51, you and I have quoted it. We've taught on it. And I'm excited that we are talking about King David. And, uh, you know, I want to encourage people to really read some of these passages that we reference. And, you know, in addition to being the great king, you know, the greatest king of ancient Israel and a fascinating figure, one passionately devoted to God, he was the, uh, <laughs> the, the one that put the most psalms in the hymn book of the Old Testament. I mean, if, if the book of Psalms could be the hymnody of the Old Testament, well, certainly David was the most preeminent contributor, wasn't he? He was, and they, they run deep. What I mean by that, they express his inner, inner being. He expresses his higher hopes. Uh, he had a view of God. We talk about a, a, a biblical worldview. Uh, when you read David's Psalms, you see that expressed in these songs. And Alex, yes. we got to the point where Nathan, the prophet, had come and confronted him and told him that he was the man. And we went over this, but I think it's a good place to start. After Nathan said that in Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, after David uh, had confronted him, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And yeah. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. What a beautiful thought. How be it, or however, verse 14, because of this deed, 
you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also who is born to you shall surely die. And Alex, he goes on to say that the sword would remain in in uh, his family, and we're going to see how that works out. We're going to see what that means. It does, but it shows you complete forgiveness, complete cleansing, complete restoration, but the consequences are still there. You know, what are yeah. the consequences of sin? They are severe, and I think we should cringe at the very thought of what our sins could do to future generations. Well, let's look at a verse in Psalm 51. Uh, one of the wisest things of David was that he was willing to acknowledge his sin. In Psalm 51, verse 4, well, I'm going to read 3 and 4. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. In other words, conviction was on his mind. He knew about his sin. But verse 4 of Psalm 51, and David is praying to God, and he says, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Bert, about, let me think here, 2008, this was about 13, 14 years ago, there was a man running for president, and somebody asked him, did he believe in sin? And uh, one of the candidates had said, well, you know, sin was um, disobedience to God that we needed to, you know, be forgiven for. And the other candidate said that sin was not, if there is such a thing as sin, this particular man said, it was not standing true to what you believe. Well, David has it right. I mean, sin is not that fundamentally we sin against ourselves, although we can do that. And my goodness, sin is certainly something more than not standing consistently with what you believe, because what you believe may or may not be true. But David has it right. He says, God against you have I sinned. And Bert, isn't it fair to say that all sin ultimately is sin against God? I agree with you fully, and it is that. And David admitted it. He did not hide it. He did not transfer. You heard the transference of things. He uh, didn't play the blame he game. He did not. He in, uh, So he comes out truthful and he turns away from that sin. And notice what he did. He said the baby would die, but he pleaded with the Lord that that baby did not die. He interceded. But in verse 20, after the baby had died, I, I just love this in the same chapter. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Now, this was after all that had happened. He had not eaten. He had fasted. Uh, God had didn't answer his prayer as he wanted concerning the child. The child died, and after that, the fa the the servants thinks, "Oh no, look how bad he is now." When he finds out that baby has died, he'll go under. But in place of that, he trusted the Lord, and what did he do? He worshipped. Uh, yes. The restoration in David's life led to worship. I hope that you understand that today in your life when you have strayed away, meandered away because of sin, and you admit it, you confront it, you confess it, and God forgives you. Listen, that restoration brings about worship, worship him. And he does that, Alex, and I, I just think that's a beautiful, beautiful thought 
And they ask him, why could he do it? And one of the greatest promises I see, uh, David said it in 22, 23, but now the baby is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. I shall go to him. Alex, I think that is a promise, brother. Well, it, it really is. And, you know, I remember, Bert, as, as a new believer, I was reading through the Bible, and I was there in the uh, second Samuel chapter 12, and where it says, David arose, washed, and anointed himself, put on clean clothes, and went to the house of the Lord, right? And that kind of surprised me, because you're right, when the baby dies, you think he's just going to implode, but he prayed, he got an answer, and he went, and he worshiped God, and he, they put food in front of him, and he ate. And so, um, you know, you were talking, and by the way, a few days ago, Bert and I were talking about uh, an author, Alan Redpath, The Making of a Man of God, and you got me really curious, and I wanted to... Um, you know, get up to speed on Alan Redpath, but yeah. he was talking about um, this, and and Alan Redpath wrote, "quote David knew all the question marks of life were in the hand of God. Amen. David knew it was impossible to be in God's hand and in the enemy's hand at the same time. The gloom begins to disappear, and fear departs, and faith emerges in glorious triumph." When, like David, we learn to put our utter dependence on the Lord. Hallelujah. End of quote. Amen. Uh, by the way, I, I learned that thanks to you, Bert, because well, I began to read Alan Redpath. <laughs> well, let me just share with you. If you find a book by Alan Redpath, purchase it. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've got a library that's got most of his books in it, and he has been a source to me of great great depth of digging deeper into the life of Christ, into the life that God has for you. You'll be blessed. Alex, that is beautiful. Go ahead. Well, let me say this about David. In 2 Samuel 12, 21, the servants say to him, what is this thing that thou hast done? Thou did fast and weep for the child while it was alive, but now that the child is dead, you did rise and eat bread. And David said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether God will be gracious that the child might live? But now the babe, Bathsheba's baby is dead. So why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Now, that's a famous verse. And so David rejoices and goes and worships God. Not rejoicing that the baby didn't live. Of course, that was sad. But here's my point, Bert. Here's a guy, he could have gone into depression for the rest of his life, you know, committed adultery, killed Uriah, uh, an unplanned pregnancy was created, and the baby died. And certainly uh, Bathsheba would have been mourning too. I mean, you think about while he was on a guilt trip for himself, I mean, he utterly turned this woman's life upside down. But... He sought forgiveness, and he went forward in a restored, redeemed place. Here's Amen. my point, Bert. Amen. Sometimes, even though we sin, and I don't, I don't minimize that, sin is wrong, sin is bad, sin has tragic consequences. But when God has forgiven us, don't we need to give ourselves permission to feel restored and move ahead? I think David gave himself permission to get on with life. 
That's the reason in Psalm 51, he said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, of your Mm -hmm. salvation, really. It was God's salvation that had come. And that is the joy can depart, but you want it to be restored. And it was restored in David's life. And uh, But yet the consequences would happen. The baby dies. But listen what happens in verse 24. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son. And guess who was born, Alex? Um. Well, a very wise man, I would imagine. Yeah, the son. King Solomon. Yeah, yeah. The son, a son of promise, honestly, you know, yes, uh, from really. this. And he would be the next king, and the Lord loved him. And notice, he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name Jedidiah because of the Lord. And, and so here you find God in this midst of tragedy, sin, hideous and horrible. God brings something good. I believe Romans 8, 20, uh, is it 28? Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. God is able to take, uh, let me just put it in a paraphrase. God is able to take our mess that we make of our own lives, and he can bring something good from it, Alex. I, well, that is, that is the power and sovereignty of God demonstrated greater than any way I know. Amen. You know, and, and all of this repentance, forgiveness, and restoration began with Nathan. Now, the name Nathan means gift of God, and salvation is a gift from God. David comforted Bathsheba, and that word means nakam. Uh, It's a similar word, and it means to comfort and console. We're going to talk more about this when we come back on Exploring the Word. Stay tuned. Bert and Alex here on the American Family Radio Network. We're going to be back after this. Don't go away. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Dat Tran. Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the United States Department of Veterans Affairs. His office works with veterans and their families in areas such as disability compensation, job training, education assistance, home loans, and life insurance. Galatians 6.2 reminds us of the importance of helping others, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Dat Tran as he works on behalf of our nation's veterans. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says a lot of people who think they're walking with God are more out of step than they realize. He'll explain as we spend two minutes with Tony. To walk with God is to bring God to bear on the steps you take in your life. It means God is part of your decision making. He is part of your thought processes. He is part of your calendar. He is part of your schedule. He is part of your relationship. Every step you take, every move you make, every meandering you do, everything you're involved with, God is attached to it and you are aligning yourself with him. If I tell you I walked in the rain, I am explaining to you the atmosphere 
or the environment in which I walked. I walked in a wet environment because I walked in the rain. That was the atmosphere. To walk in the spirit or to walk with God is to walk in an atmosphere that God is controlling the environment of your movement. If God is not controlling the environment of your movement, except on Sunday, that's visiting the spirit and visiting God. It's not walking with God. That is including God in all the steps of life, in all the decisions of life, in all the perspective of life. Learn more about how the power of real faith can reshape your reality. Get details on Dr. Evans' message series, Heroes of the Faith, by visiting us at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. David, the man after God's own heart, that's who we're studying on this edition of Exploring the Word with Alex and Bert. We're so honored that you were listening. It really is an honor that you would tune in and we could all study the Bible together. And, uh, you know, with that in mind, I want to ask a favor of everybody. Um, If this show has touched your life in some way, uh, call this number and let us know about that, if you would, 877-876-876. 8893. Now, uh, we always love to hear listener stories, don't we, Bert, or, or testimonies. And, you know, when I'm on the road speaking, as I so frequently am, people come up and they'll say, you know, Alex, I listened to you and Bert, and I was going through this or that, and you helped me, or you answered a question. And whether it's uh, this show, or Today's Issues, or Sandy Rios, or The Awakening, or The Hamilton Corner, all the great programming, for whatever AFR means to you, if you would, would you uh, call and just record a brief word of testimony? Don't doesn't have to be eloquent or anything. Just how this has touched your life. The Sherathon uh, fundraising um, drive is coming up in mid October, and this helps us throughout the year take the name of Jesus and the truth of God to millions and millions and millions of listeners. So the number for listener stories, it's 877-876-8893. And uh, we give God the glory for hearing how all of these broadcasts mom, might be touching your life. Alex, as I say, this is my favorite part of share I love to hear what God has done. And uh, you know what G- I think Jesus loves that too. Do you remember what he'd do? He would send the 12 out, the 70 out. But then he'd want them to come back and share what the Lord has done. He relished in that. I think that's going to be part of heaven, too, is sharing. Look what God has done. And I, we, I don't know everything we're going to know from heaven when we get there. But I got a feeling part of it's going to be the fellowship of hearing what God has done in the lives of people. And we Amen. can have a little bit of heaven here upon earth when you share what God has done. So thank you for that, Alex. 877 877- 
three. Well, Alex mm. Solomon is born, but again, the difficulties did not end mostly in his family. It follows with his a son, Amnon, and a, uh, his daughter, Tamar, and Amnon taking advantage sexually of her and damaging her, quote, her psyche. She, she could be restored, but it hurt her the rest of her life, uh, never able to overcome that, and it resulted in Amnon dying by another son called Absalom. It was mm-hmm. as just as it was a mess with Bathsheba and David, and Uriah, it was horrible with Amnon, Tamar, and Absalom as well, wasn't it? Well, it, it really was. I mean, there, there were a lot of things, you know. Um, the judgment on David said the sword is never going to leave your house, and it, it did seem like there was just a cloud over his uh, kids and their goings-on, and that speaks to the ripple effect of sin, doesn't it? I mean, sin... Uh, the Bible says no man lives unto himself, and you and I have often pointed out the fact that um, we might think what we're doing is secret, or we might think it's personal, or we, we might even think I have the right to do this or that, but sin has repercussions, and when a sinful deed is done, there are repercussions set in motion that we really have no control over. The, the Call it a domino effect or a ripple effect. But it certainly was evident in some of the tragic things that befell the house of David, wasn't it? It was. I I just got to drop in. I have a message on this. Chapter 13, Amnon had an unholy, unnatural desire for his sister. It was a half-sister, but still his sister. And he wasn't going to act upon it. But he had a friend who was a cousin named Jonadab. And Mm -hmm. he encouraged Amnon to sin. Now, again, we're not going to spend a lot of time. We're trying to stay on David, but I just felt like I needed to drop in there. Look at chapter 13, read it, and see how horrible sin can be when you think on it. Yeah, the thought may come, but let me just suggest to you, when that thought of sin occurs, dismiss it. Turn away from it. Don't feed upon it. Don't share it with someone that will encourage you to carry it out. And that's exactly what happened. Tamar suffered the consequences. Mm, but I mean. Absalom, the, the, the full sister, uh, our brother of Tamar, did not take it. He expected King David to respond accordingly to Amnon, and he did not do anything about it. So Absalom took things into his own hands and it would end in the death of Amnon. It was a horrible, horrible story, Alex. It really was. You know, the Bible says uh, Jonadab was a shrewd man. Yeah. Whenever I see the word shrewd in the Bible, I kind of, I think, you know, what's going on here? But uh, he certainly wasn't a friend, was he, to encourage him to do uh, a, a wicked thing. It was said this was a wicked thing in Israel, and he was not much of a friend for encouraging that. So what kind of friend can you be? Listen, turn those thoughts toward Christ, uh, toward purity. Uh, Don't encourage sin. Encourage purity in the life of your accountability. It may be a brother and sister. I'm talking about a physical brother or sister. It may be a cousin, maybe a friend. Uh, Encourage them for righteousness sake. And uh, this is what, as you said, Jonadab did not do. 
And so Absalom, and we find the story of Absalom in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all the way to chapter 18 where he dies. This is the part where Absalom reigns up against his own father to take over the reign of the nation of Israel, the united whole nation. And uh, he gets it for a while. He runs David out of town, doesn't he? Well, he really does. You know, David was a good leader. Um, you know, First Chronicles 14, 7 says that the fame of David went out into all the lands, plural, and the Lord brought fear of him upon all nations. And, you know, he was, um, we've moved past some of his personal problems, but he was, he was a good leader. And, yeah, and, you know, the Bible also says that he administered justice and equity to all the people, First Chronicles 18, 14. But uh, just like Saul was jealous of David, you know, even Absalom, one of his own sons, would be jealous and want to usurp him. Um, let me say this. When you, somebody is godly, and the, not only is uh, the favor of God upon them, but they are obedient to God, there are going to be people nearby that that just bothers them, doesn't it? Alex, I say it this way. Satan does not mind using anybody, okay? Mm -hmm. He'll yeah. use anyone. You remember when Jesus uh, said he must go to Jerusalem and die? This is in Mark chapter 8. And, uh, and, and Jesus says that, and die. And he said, then rise again the third day. Peter took him aside and rebuked him. That's what Peter did. You remember what Jesus' response was? Get behind me, Satan. Here was Satan using Peter. Satan doesn't care who he uses. So my advice, don't let him use you. Stay in contact. Follow God. And here, Absalom, jealousy, uh, anger. I, I think there was anger toward his dad for not responding uh, quickly. Mm -hmm to, to yeah. a sin, you know, that his Amnon did. I, fathers, it's difficult to do that sometimes. I understand. But Absalom let it fester and he build and he kills him. He, he builds a rebellion. Absalom had, let me share this with you. Absalom has some of the traits of his dad of being a leader, of being someone that was charismatic, people wanting to follow him, and he used it for evil in place of good. Well, that's true. That's true. And, you know, um, let me just say this with the Amnon and the Tamar situation. Uh, sexual sin is, is so dark and so um, destructive to the people involved, uh, the victim and the perpetrator. And so this is uh, just part of the ripple effect of sin over the, the house of David. And so uh, let me be clear. There is forgiveness, but... Uh, avoiding the repercussions and the consequences of sin, uh, even though God saves and God forgives, that doesn't necessarily mean the consequences uh, automatically evaporate, do they? Alex, you heard the phrase, sometimes it's easier to get forgiveness than permission, but that, mm -hmm. listen, the consequences of that, of not getting permission, will rain heavy many times. And so it yes. did in Absalom's case, and again, it was again and again. And uh, he, he tried not only to overthrow his dad, Absalom came to the point of discrediting him, of even shaming him. That, that bitterness that he had toward his dad ran deep. Have you heard 
there's nothing like family quarrels. You can have a quarrel oh my with goodness, others, yes. but family quarrels just top them all. And I think this is proof of that. Well, and you know, Absalom really uh, betrayed his dad for uh, a number of, of things. Uh, you know, the, it was in part, it started, you know, really in revenge of, of the rape of, of Tamar. But Absalom didn't respect David. He launches this rebellion. I mean, this is a divided kingdom over this. And, you know, it's Absalom is going to just be so, um, well, he's going to die a very disgraceful death. And I think about this. Look, um, even when Saul was king, and Saul was a bad king, but David respected Saul's authority. And Saul was dealt with and David was elevated. Well, Absalom didn't return the favor. Absalom didn't respect his dad, the king, and so Absalom died a very disgraceful death. We know he gets hung in a tree by his hair, which he was prideful about, and, you know, um, Absalom did not know the God of Israel. He was lost. He was unsaved. I think that's part of the reason David mourns him so much. But here's the thing. Um... God deals with those that are rebellious against authority. Um, I Right now, the current administration in Washington does things that uh, we, don't, we conservative constitutionalist Christians don't like, but we can pray for leaders even if we don't always like the stands they take. And so um, disrespect and rebellion is, is really ne- not God's way, is it? It is not. And David wanted Absalom to be returned. The, it did not present itself. His hair gets caught into a tree. He is stabbed. But then when it is told to him, here is his morning. You was talking about his morning. I think we need to just read this, and it really penetrates hard. If you're a parent and you know your child has has been killed or has died, it hurts. And hear this. Then the king, that was David, was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, O Absalom, my son, my son. Mm -hmm. Uh, Alex, that again, the writer of 2 Samuel put that direct quote in there. I think to share this broken-hearted man, a king, yeah. no position will will protect you from pain, and the pain that you hear in that cry is so real. You and I have had individuals call here on Exploring the Word, and you hear the pain in their voice over a death of a loved one, over the rebellion of a loved one, them being out there, and you hear that pain and the only thing we can do is encourage them in the scripture and pray for them here david that pain is really expressed in this cry oh absalom my son oh my mm-hmm. son absalom a very famous novel by william faulkner of that name we studied in high school it's not really about this story so much although there are some things drawn from it. I don't know if they still teach the William Faulkner novel in high schools now because of its biblical illusions. But, you know, um, these are some of the darkest days of the the life of David. And as he gets older, 
uh, you know, he, he gets old and uh, feeble, and uh, there's just, uh, he, he doesn't end well, in my opinion. I mean, he knows the Lord, he praises the Lord, but there are a lot of, uh, lot of sadnesses in the life of David uh, post, you know, we always say the Bathsheba, incident in a way it's the uriah incident too isn't it that is kind of a turning point in his life it is and as you finish second samuel uh don't skip chapter 23 it talks about the men who surrounded him they're called david's mighty men they're some of the greatest stories in the bible in one verse or two or three verses don't miss that but you come as you said the end of his life it goes already into first the book of first kings chapters 1 and 2, and as you said, he had gone through famine, through difficulties, but he comes to the end of his life, and again, there's another son wanting to take over and doing plans to replace Solomon, and yet God's will was done. He dies in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, and Solomon begins his reign in 1 Kings 2, 12. Alex, uh, David grew feeble. He grew old. Praise the Lord, God used Bathsheba to do the will of God through Nathan to make Solomon God's choice to be the next king. Exactly, exactly. Hey, by the way, I know we're almost out of time. One thing I wanted to say, and we we could have taken this rabbit trail a little bit, but Absalom consulted of two people. One was Ahithophel, and one was Hushai. And Ahithophel gave Absalom bad advice, overthrow David. Hushai said, no, don't. And then Absalom said, well, Hushai is a friend of my father, so I'm not going to listen to him. One of the things that Absalom missed out was listening to godly counsel because he didn't. Listen, uh, if you read these last chapters, you'll find out bad counsel ends in death and division, destruction. That's right. Hey, we're going to take phone calls in the next segment. That number, 888-589-8840. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call here on Exploring the Word. As followers of Christ, we are on mission. We're to share that gospel with people we come in contact with. Pastor Bert Harper. Bert Harper. That's what God wants to do. He wants to use you for his glory as a faithful servant. So when you come before him, he can say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Exploring Missions, Saturday afternoons at 2.30 Central and Sundays at 1 on American Family Radio. After losing her parents in a murder-suicide, nine-year-old Kim Meter was filled with despair. On the next Focus on the Family, you'll hear how Kim learned that God was bigger than this devastating loss and how the Lord healed her heart. That's Kim Meter next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers, My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. One word has proven to be debilitating in our society, the D word, discrimination. What we fail to realize is discrimination is not automatically a dirty concept. We discriminate against thieves and murderers when we send them to prison. We discriminate against sexual predators by keeping them away from children. 
And yes, we rightly discriminate against men when we keep them out of women's restrooms. According to Psalm 1, we have to discriminate against the counsel of the wicked in order to be blessed. Good thing God isn't debilitated by the D word. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with a minute in God's Word to help you keep moving forward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you were saved. As a teenager, I worked for a man who said that's the gospel in response to anything he agreed with. For instance, when someone said that's a delicious hamburger, he'd answer that's the gospel. Well, for him, gospel was simply a positive term with no clear meaning. Sadly, some people use the word gospel in a similar way today. 1 Corinthians 15 says the gospel is Christ's death for our sins, eternal life through his resurrection, and salvation through faith in him. The gospel is God's greatest message, a message you can believe and share with others. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Somehow you see through my heart, and you welcome me with open arms just as I am. Amen. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. We're going to take phone calls, and people are calling in already. That number, if you need to do that, because sometimes these drop, 888-589-8840. And we've had folks, I know they called in, and I know Marty's talking to them, but that book that Alex and I have been talking about, about David's life, is the author is Alan Redpath, and you spell it A-L-A-N, that Alan, and then Redpath, R-E-D-P-A-T-H, and it's the making of a man of God. And I want to tell you, uh, let me put it this way when I preach. If this book doesn't ring your bell, your clapper's broke, Alex. Uh, that, <laughs> well, amen. That book, it, it, will, it will help you. It will bless you. It gives it historically, but also the deep, deep meaning of it. It does both. It's hard to do both of those. You know, a lot of times it'll yes. be too academic, and then sometimes it leaves academics off and just goes devotional, and yet it's not as much stuff as you need. Uh, Alan Redpath is able to combine those, much like Chuck Swindoll. You know, Chuck Swindoll I, was, oh, was able goodness, to yes. do that. Take take the scriptures and the meaning of it, but also then bring it around where it would move you. So uh, anyway, I, Al, that's yes. who it is. Alan Redpath, and, the making of a man of God. You, and you know what? We always like to encourage people, build a good Christian library yes. for, for your home, yes. books that you can refer to often. And let me just rem- remind people before we go to the calls that Truth for a New Generation is in a month, uh, just four weeks from tomorrow, in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Frank Turek, Sandy Rios, E.W. Jackson, myself, more than a dozen sessions on biblical worldview, apologetics, how to defend the faith, how to strong, uh, stand strong for truth in this woke 
culture. And uh, it's coming up, and we would love for you to be there. It's for all ages. You can go to my website, which is alexmcfarland.com, for info about the next Truth for a New Generation conference. Well, Bert, how about we go to calls? Uh, your Bible questions, 888-589-8840. First, we start in Arkansas with Shirley. Welcome to the program. Hello. Hello, Hi, Shirley. Good to have you. Good to have you today. I'm having a great day. The Lord blesses. Yes. Amen. Amen. I have a question about First Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. There's been some discussion about the requirements of a deacon, be the husband yes. of one wife. And I feel like the Lord means one wife, whether they've been divorced or not. What is your opinion or insight? Okay, Shirley, thank you so much. Let me just share these uh, requirements and guidelines. Uh, I don't mean to be, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to lower the standard when I say this. I doubt if every man could even measure up every bit of that. Those are kind of the guidelines that you use to do it. Again, I don't want to lower the standard. If you hear me saying that, I'm not trying to do that. But I am saying, Alex, uh, you know, uh, when you read each one of those, it says uh, having his children under subjection to him. Did you yeah. know the children in the Greek was masculine? You know, if you go strictly yeah. by the he. Uh, the Greek text, that means you'd have to have at least two male children if you said yeah. requirements. You catch what? Yeah, I'm being yeah. picky right here. but well, uh, I think you, you're doing good to say the word guidelines, yeah. really. Well, I do too. Well, what about this? And Alex, I want you to do it here because you do such a good job of explaining our, our friend John MacArthur, very r strict on, on interpretation of the Greek language. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, and you know what? A lot of churches have um, dealt with this, and surely I I'm with you. I mean, obviously we believe in godliness and holiness, but in the American church for a lot of years, husband of one wife from uh, 1 Timothy 3.2 was assumed to mean never having been divorced. But really what it meant was not a polygamist, one wife at a time. Now, I know that there are biblical grounds for divorce, and some divorces have not been for adultery, abuse, or abandonment like biblical grounds. But one of the reasons we bring up, like, John MacArthur, uh, the late, great Norm Geisler, okay, both of these men were meticulous handlers of Scripture, and both <laughs> are pretty, pretty rigid, right? But even MacArthur and Geisler would say 1 Timothy 3.2 doesn't necessarily mean never having been divorced. It means a one-woman kind of man. So my position, and this is just Alex, and, and believe me, I, I, I advocate for holiness and giving God our best, but I, I absolutely do believe that a divorced man can serve as a deacon uh, if he's a born-again believer walking with Christ and uh, now is... Uh, willing to serve his church. I don't think the First Timothy three two necessarily precludes a divorced man from not being a deacon at all. Okay, we got some good calls, and I want to get to as many as we can. Yes, Alex, great answer, Shirley. We hope that helps. Where do we go yes. to next, Alex? 
Uh, how about um, New Mexico with Gilbert? Gilbert, are you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. How are you? Uh, good. Thanks for calling. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, I didn't think I was going to get in, but I'm glad uh, you answered my phone call. Um, I have a question that I, I've been dealing with for years, uh, and I'm so glad for, for all y'all who answer questions. And um, My question is, um, uh, with King David and Solomon, um, you know, the the prophet Nathan, he called out uh, King David for for being a murderer, you know, and, 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 you know, committing adultery, how he did it to cover it up, with, you know, with murder and everything. But uh, being that King David and Solomon, they both, they both had hundreds of wives and, and, uh, and they had concubines on top of that. And I don't see why they never were called out for being adulterous, being an adulterer. And I struggle with that because like, I, I have a wife, I love my wife, you know, uh, but I, I struggle because my, my eyes wander sometimes, you know, there's yeah. and and, you know, I, I just don't understand. Like, I feel like why was they able to get away with it? You know, and then if I just such as much as look into a woman, Jesus says, and lust for her, I've already committed adultery. OK, mm-hmm. Gilbert. So and, you know, second. Go ahead. I'm going to kick it off and throw it to you. But second Samuel five, you know, we, we know about uh, David's. Um, seven or eight wives, but Second Samuel five thirteen says David took more concubines and more wives, and so, like the caller said, we don't know how many. Bert, why did God allow this? I would say it was only His grace, but I I want to tell you, it does not make it right. God's allowance does not do away with it being sin and being wrong. Jesus Mm -hmm. said it straight. It was from the beginning, one man and one woman. King David, King Solomon was breaking God's law when they did that. Now, God, you remember that scripture, the time of this wickedness God winked at? Now, I don't know everything that means, but he kind of overlooked it. I don't, you know, I don't know if he was overlooking that for the greater good, Alex, Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does not make it has not made it right. And Gilbert, make a covenant with your eyes that you will not look upon someone else besides your wife. Uh, that's what you do. You go to the Lord, and like Alex was saying yesterday, even checking out at the at the counter at a at a grocery store or some other place, and they have those magazines there. Turn away, uh, and if you know it's there, don't even turn toward it the first place. You know. So you can, uh, yeah, we're sinners, but we can sin less than. We're never going to be sinless, but, Alex, we can sin less if we'll get our heart right. And and again, we've said this, uh, not everything the Bible records does the Bible condone. It reports on what some of these people like Solomon and David did, but it certainly doesn't affirm it. Uh, one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's God's ideal. Let's go to Alabama and speak with Sharon. Sharon, welcome to Exploring the Word. Hey, look, I love my Amplified Bible. I wanted a translation that was would give me as close to the meaning of the original languages as possible, and I thought I had found that in the Amplified, but uh, a pastor gave me a book in which, he taught 
that since the Amplified is not based exclusively on what is called the majority text, it is among those from the line of corruption. And everything that is not from the majority text is of the devil and is intended to deceive. So is my Amplified translation not as close to the original as I thought? Sharon, thank you for your call. It's good that Jim Stanley's not on today because Amplified Bible is his favorite. Sharon. I was, I was going to say something. <laughs> you know, we often call Bert, we'll say Bert repeated word Harper, and, and Jim is Jim Amplified Bible Stanley. <laughs> that is true. But let me tell you, if you look at the Amplified Bible, I, I disagree with that premise that they're saying, you know, there's yeah. not as much difference in some of those uh, textual things of the uh, copies that we have. We Nobody has the original. We don't have that. We have copies of it. Alex, there's just not that much difference to make that kind of a comment. Schofield, yes. let me make this. I'll throw it to you. Charles Schofield, the great Schofield Bible that's not used very much anymore. I don't know all the reasons why, but I still have one. He had in it, it that, like the King James Version, other versions, it's as close enough that it can be called the Word of God. And Amplified, I, I still believe it's a good version. Alex, go ahead. Um, by the way, and, and thank you. And look, we all want to know that the Bible we're reading is truly the Word of God. And, and I've got to say this, I've got some friends that are translators, and ascertaining what the Greek and Hebrew said is one of the most meticulous sciences. Now, there are Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, and what they look, scholars look at, you know, the age of the manuscript, where it was found, different things. So I'm going to tell you something. The book that you're referencing that critiques anything other than majority texts it's from about 50 years ago, and there was a time in the early 70s when American conservatives, um, some, not all, they were trying to make the argument that you could only use what is called the majority text, uh, but they were trying to make an argument to defend the King James-only position. But here's the thing. Um, the majority text uh, and the King James differ in many places, nothing like the deity of Christ. And I, without getting too technical, let me just say this. Um, the Bible, like the Amplified Bible, the New King James, the Holman Christian Standard, the ESV, the NASB, they really have been faithfully translated from Greek and Hebrew to English. Um, use your Amplified Bible, and you may be confident that it has been carefully done. And these books that want to say, only the Textus Receptus, or only the majority text, uh, and not the Byzantine text, and anything other than the majority text is of the devil, it's not really accurate. I mean, it really isn't. And so, Bert, um, I know we don't have time to dig too deeply into that, but let me just say that um, God has graciously preserved His Word in English Bibles, 
Because, see, if, if, if we lived in a world of King James only, then heaven help all the other language groups that aren't allowed to get Amen. the Bible in their language. Sharon, we hope that helps you. We really do. Yes. Hope we do. Um, read your the, Bible yeah. and trust it fully. Amen. Sherry in North Carolina. Sherry. Hello? Yes, you're Welcome. on, Sherry. Go right ahead. Well, I think Gilbert and I must have been on the same page because I've always um, struggled with, you know, David being a man after God's own heart and having multiple wives and concubines, but I think you both have already taken care of answering my question just by uh, Gilbert um, calling in and asking, but I, I just, you know, I've always struggled with that. You're not the only mm -hmm. one. Listen, they were out of the will of God. Let's just put yeah. it plain. We don't know for sure what took place in private. We have that Nathan coming to to David. It is recorded. Uh, honestly, there's no doubt in my mind, uh, David just didn't do that. You remember what happened when he was bringing up the ark uh, back to Jerusalem, Alex? He went down there and got a new ox cart and brought it back and then you know, was it Yuza that was going to steady it and died? Yeah, yeah. And they put and it at, they put it there at uh, at uh, Obed Obed Edom's house for three months, and it says David began to pray and search the scripture. That's over in Chronicles. And after he did that, he went down and brought it back right. Some of the things yes. that David and Solomon did, honestly, they they misread God. They did it some. I think in selfishness i'm not going to say complete ignorance but they were wrong and you don't justify anybody that justifies affairs anybody that justifies having a, a man that has wandering eyes is not doing right by the scriptures alex and also let me just say this the fact that they record the life of david warts and all shows that it wasn't just ancient zionist propaganda I mean, the greatest king of Israel, and yet the fact that some of his flaws were still reported to us shows that it was really the Word of God being fully honest. Amen. Hey, tomorrow's going to be Fire Away Friday. We didn't get to Linda's call. Great call about the Trinity. I uh, hope you'll call back, Linda. And then uh, Janine from Louisiana, great calls that we couldn't get to today. We'd love to tomorrow on Fire Away Friday. So tell someone about exploring the Word, but more importantly, Tell them about Jesus.